Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we use intersectional feminism, mindfulness, leadership, and strategy to support smart women to change the world without anxiety, insecurity, and burnout. I am so thrilled where my career has has taken me, and I and I am in competition with no one. On the show, we challenge the status quo and support you to unlearn harmful messages that keep you playing small. So you can activate your superpowers and live with joy, confidence, and ease. I'm your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hello, hello, Well Women. Welcome to the show. I'm Giovanna Rossi. And this month on the Well Woman Show, I interview Precious Brady Davis, an award-winning diversity advocate, regional communications director of the Sierra Club, and author of the memoir, I Have Always Been Me. Before we get to our interview, I want to talk about something that I've covered on the podcast before, and in fact, dived into it pretty deeply a few episodes ago, chronic overwork as a way of valuing ourselves. So if you want to check this out, go to episode 255, and we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes at wellwomanlife.com slash radio. And basically what I was talking about was overwork is often accompanied by stress and exhaustion. And while there are many explanations for why people overwork, the one that keeps coming up in this community of high achieving professional women is that of proving our value or proving our worth. So we tend to wrap our identity up so tightly with our professional achievements that we lose sight of the other parts of our lives that we want to thrive in. The other parts of our lives, including our health, our relationships, relationship and our connection to a larger purpose. So what is chronic overwork and how does it impact our health and well-being? What can women do to shift from achievement to a deeper connection to themselves and the world? Recently on the Well Woman Show, we dived into this topic of chronic overwork and uncovered the steps to begin to shift how we respond to our need to achieve and shift how we navigate the broader systems that keep overworking a seemingly necessary part of life. Check it out at npr.org. You can search for the Well Woman Show podcast and scroll down to episode 255. Today on the show, we're discussing the struggles of growing up in foster care, the importance of advocating for yourself in the workplace, and precious Brady Davis's struggles of being a fully actualized trans woman. Precious Brady Davis is an award-winning diversity advocate, communications professional, and public speaker. She served for three years as the assistant director of diversity recruitment initiatives at Columbia College Chicago, her alma mater, implementing the campus-wide diversity initiative and providing leadership and oversight of national diversity recruitment and inclusion policies. Precious is married to Miles Brady and lives in Hyde Park on the south side of Chicago, where they are raising their daughter. On the show, Precious shares her profound journey as a biracial, gender non-conforming kid in foster care to becoming a fully actualized trans woman. All the information shared today can be found at the show notes at wellwomanlife.com slash radio. You can also continue the conversation with us in the Well Woman Life community group at wellwomanlife.com slash community. The Well Woman Show is thankful for support from the Well Woman Academy at wellwomanlife.com slash academy. I'm speaking with Precious Brady Davis this morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Giovanna. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to have you on the show. We're going to get into a lot of different things today, but I want to just start by having you tell listeners, who are you in the world today? Today in the world, I am Precious Brady Davis, she, her, hers, writer, author, 
speaker, mother, wife, and I'm I'm present here today and excited for this conversation. Great, me too. And I want to ask you, what are you like? What is your life's work? I know you came out with a memoir this month, and I love the title. And I I have been reading it. it it's just so aligned with what we talk about on the Well Woman Show, which is sort of like we have always been our most amazing powerful selves, we just sort of have to be it, right? We have to find the courage and and the supports to show up as who we really are. So can you talk about your work in the world and sort of how you got to, to do this? Yes. Let's start with my work. Uh, well over 15 years, I've worked in nonprofit management and I have worked with LGBT youth. I worked at a community center for several years where I oversaw an intervention for HIV prevention with LGBTQQIA youth. For three years, I worked in higher education and oversaw diversity recruitment uh, and also oversaw diversity and inclusion training on campus. Now I work at the Sierra Club. I work for a campaign called Beyond Cult. And growing up, I was greatly involved in church. I taught Sunday school. I was involved in community outreach programs. And I have always been involved in work that uplifts community and uplifts folks who are marginalized. And this book is a summation of everything that I have always been my whole life. Uh, I describe in the book, I call it shine. My whole life, there's been a shine and, and radiance on my life and uh, in, in my world. Even when others didn't see it, there were points in my life where I would say, I'm a woman of excellence. And, and, and people would laugh, you know, at, at that phrase to, to, to what I was saying and how I, I was describing myself. I've always been a very resilient person. You know, I've navigated a lot of trauma in my life. And I think that also could be a natural response to experiencing trauma in, in my life. I am a, a natural optimist. Uh, and I think the spaces in which I found myself as a kid were spaces in community and that is work that I've always been involved involved in and I've wanted to continue to invest in in my life. I love that you identified very early on as a woman of excellence and I just want to ask you where did that vision for yourself come from? Like with all of the, as you say, the traumas and the challenges that you experienced growing up, how did you come to see yourself that way and really pursue that and, and create the life that you really wanted? I would say in terms of one of the first places in which I'd come to see myself was in church. It was a, a space that really talked about God as an, an omnipresent figure who who provides blessing and who provides opportunity, especially to those you know who who are, are brokenhearted and, and and downtrodden. But it wasn't just the the message that touched me. It was the ways in which the church operated as a community. I remember being a young child on Sunday mornings, ascending the stairs 
of my church. And you could hear the music just swelling coming out of the sanctuary. And there would be middle-aged women who served as greeters who would hug me. And it and they were the the the, the kindest hugs. And I was a, a very gender non-conforming feminine child, but I felt their their love. There was an energy that I was bringing that they were that they were connecting with. And I think in those spaces, I I served as a help. You know, I would change the transparency, you know, for the song lyrics, you know, that the, the church would be singing. I was helping, you know, singing Sunday school. And it was a place in which I felt seen outside of my home that I didn't feel as appreciated and wanted. But I remember one particular incident in particular. I remember when I... After I had been adopted, I was still going to visitations with my biological mother. I'll never forget knowing that my biological mother didn't want me after putting me up for adoption, that she wanted my sister, but that she didn't want me. And I'll never forget coming from one of our visits And I was sitting on these maroon tufted seats. The weather was kind of hot. And so the fabric was extremely hot. You know, when you jump in a car and in summer and you, the car is just extremely hot and I was kind of agitated. And I remember buckling the metal seat buckle together and looking out the window. And I said to myself, I am going to be the biggest person you have ever seen. And I, and I didn't know the extent to what that armor was creating. I just knew that I was out to prove that I was going to be a someone. And this is at age six. Like I steeled myself of saying, I'll show you what you're missing. Like I knew at an early age that there was value to to my life. And I really had this inner resilience of saying my being given up for adoption, that this isn't just me, you know, that this is this is someone else. Uh, there was just a natural resilience and an optimism that I possessed. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because I, I do truly believe that everybody has that inner resilience. Yes. It's just a matter of noticing it and then responding to it and then acting on it, right? Like sometimes that doesn't happen until much later or if ever. And so that you can pinpoint that to your six-year-old self is really amazing. You've obviously done a lot of work. And and the story about the church, I just, I just want to say that really makes me think about, you know, just the unconditional love and acceptance that can be offered in various places and and you you found it there that was a really big moment for you and so for listeners you know just to to say like when in your own life did you experience that complete acceptance and love because that that's what i got from that story you know from your experience with the women hugging you in church and that kind of acceptance and love is is really powerful I want to be clear of saying that that acceptance and unconditional love, that was when I was a child, but it changed not necessarily from those women, but from the the institution of the church itself. Yes. I was going to ask you about that. Okay. Yeah. The institution of the church was not accepting at all of my sexual orientation, you know, and my announcing of that. And it was... It was a heavy struggle having to deal with that as a young person 
having to navigate trying to change myself for the acceptance of people telling me that God wants me to be something else than what I already am. And it took me many years of fighting that. There were countless altar calls I responded to where I ran to an altar and knelt and prayed that God would change me, that I wouldn't be, that I wouldn't be gay or that I wouldn't be queer. And it was actually, I'll never forget, and I talk about this in the book, there's a moment in which I went to a church retreat and a pastor, I grew up Pentecostal, so Pentecostal is a very energetic, speaking in tongues, laying on of hands. There is this energy transference that is a part of the faith and the history of it. And I'll never forget, I was standing in the back of a worship experience and a minister pointed at me and said, you are not a woman, you are a man. And thinking back to that moment, I I don't think I had ever at that point identified as a woman. You know, when I earlier, when I was talking about I'm a woman of excellence, that was more in in, in college, Mm -hmm. you know, and and, and after that. But this was in high school. I was probably a sophomore and a, a pastor was reading me as a woman. I mean, at that time I had dyed hair and I had glitter in my hair and, you know, there was a store called Gazooks, uh, which was kind of an alternative store that I would that I would dress in. Yeah. And that was extremely traumatic for me as a young person to have that minister call me out in front of the congregation and say, you are not a woman, you are a man. I bind the foul spirit of homosexuality out of you. For I had to fight that for many years and had other peers who were also labeled as struggling with that. Yeah. And, and and it took me many years for me to separate myself from that. It ultimately was going to college and separating myself and forming my own ideology around faith and self and identity and not just listening to what someone was prescribing to me as thus saith the Lord. Mm-hmm. And and once I separated myself from this ritualistic kind of thinking, you know, of this is what God wants me to be, I felt that there was room for for God to to really unfold in in me that the whole time that God has always been with me and God is the essence of of who I am and not someone dictating to me. And so it was a part of a, a morphing of my spirituality as I began to further unfold these levels and and, and pieces uh, in my life that were the, the truth of my identity. Okay, I'm speaking with precious Brady Davis author of I Have Always Been Me, and she's an award-winning diversity advocate and serves as a communications director at the Sierra Club. We'll be right back. You're invited to join me for a brand new monthly group experience over in the Well Woman Academy. This is a monthly group that includes access to the full six-week course based on feminism, mindfulness, and the Well Woman Life Framework. It includes weekly groups coaching sessions with me, as well as office hours and a private Facebook group to share and grow. Don't get me wrong, this is hard work. But with these tools, you will 
easefully find the time to do the course, get the coaching, and reach your goals monthly. If you find yourself worrying about whether you'll ever make it in the thing you're pursuing, waking up in the middle of the night with anxiety, lacking the energy you need to get everything done, stuck in some aspect of leading your team, procrastinating on moving forward with projects and tasks, or in a leadership role but second-guessing yourself constantly, I'd love to introduce you to the Well Woman Academy. It's for smart, high-achieving women changing the world who want to overcome anxiety, burnout, perfectionism, and insecurity. The result? You get to live your Well Woman life, a life of joy, ease, and abundance, even when things are tough all around you. Visit wellwomanlife.com academy to learn more. We're back with Precious Brady Davis on the Well Woman Show. We're going into the segment called Superpowers for Success. And Precious, I have a series of questions for you so that listeners can kind of get to know you a little bit better and learn from some of your wisdom about life. But I just want to say, picking up from our from the end of the of the last segment and the conversation, that I just see that so many of and and this is a lot of what we work on in the Well Woman community is kind of like looking at these structures and systems that really were built to disempower or or keep folks who don't have power powerless. And that includes, you know, all kinds of folks, people of color and transgender kids and LGBTQ. I mean, just, you know, looking at how these systems work to keep folks kind of in their place, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then seeing you rise out of that and then working in diversity as a diversity advocate in the nonprofit world. Can you talk about how you're navigating that? Because in my own career, I've I've navigated working within a system that is designed to keep me and other folks oppressed, but, you know, also working with my tools and my expertise to, to challenge that system and challenge that status quo. And so it's a, it's a real double bind. And, and I'd love for you to speak to that. Thank you so much for all of that pushing back and for the work that you've done. Yeah, it is hard. It is difficult, but I believe that one, I'm paving a fierce future for the folks behind me. Number two, I think this is part of my my purpose. You know, I believe in investing in in people. And I think that people, especially when it comes to social justice work in particular and diversity, equity, inclusion work, I think that there are are, are many different ways to do that. I just want to lay that out first. You know, we have the the feet who are in the march and in the chant. We have the the people who work within the institutions. There are people, you know, who, who work in, in, in policy. And I think it takes all of those people in the cog to, to create justice work. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King once said that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And I think it's about setting the, the root of justice. What does that look like in our work? Am I bending the arc? And when I started my career, I did not go into it saying, I want to be the first trans woman of color in many of the spaces that I've occupied. <laughs> that is not, I just like wanted, you know, to continue doing my, my diversity work. And I think I've learned to, to flex my muscle of challenging leadership 
to be more inclusive as I've grown in my career. And there are various ways to do it. You know, in my my first job out of college, I transitioned on the job and was the first trans woman of color hired on paid staff. And they refused to change my name in the email system. There was no policy for that. This is in what I think 2012. You know, there wasn't, you know, the the conversation, you know, about trans equality was just starting to happen, you know, nationally, just maybe a year or two after that. And I had to hold the institution accountable. It was a it was a year battle. And I, I couldn't believe I was fighting. And I was working. And let me tell you, I was working for an LGBTQ nonprofit at that. Oh, I had to challenge that institution who told me this is specifically coming from the executive director who told me that they wouldn't change my name in the email system because I hadn't legally changed my name. And I would continue to advocate. I would continue to advocate. And there would be times where I would go talk to the chief program officer. I would go and, and, and talk to the, the, to the executive director about it. And finally it happened. And finally I said to myself, because it was, you know, my first job out of college, I said, I need to stay here for three years. I have to, I have to. I felt really strongly about the work that I was doing with the young people, with the homeless youth there. And I was so touched by it. And there was a moment in which I said, this place doesn't deserve my talent. They're not going to invest in my career as a trans woman of color. And they only want me to be in this cubicle for the rest of my career. And I refuse to do that. I knew that there were other skills that that I could tap into and that I could uh, gift, you know, uh, where I was working. And so I said to myself, you know what? I deserve better. I had fought the fight. I'd opened the door. And now there's, you know, a policy for it. And there's someone who does that programming now. I was instrumental in in that fight. And then I, I got a new job uh, where I was overseeing diversity recruitment and diversity training uh, at my alma mater. And the the jump that I had made, I made my, my salary jumped by 20K. And it was so reassuring to me that that move was the right move. And yeah. it was confirmation that I should never, ever doubt myself. And so I feel it's important when you feel strongly about something, I think that you should speak out about it. I think that there are various ways to do that. I think it's important to build relationships uh, with people, specifically uh, the, the person who manages you. I think it's important to, to, to manage up the, the, the chain. And I think it's important that we as individuals, and especially as women, that we serve as our biggest advocate, because if no one advocates for you, no one will. And if it's not going to be you, no, you know, no one will. And so I am a powerful advocate for myself, for my capacity, and especially within the nonprofit world. Yeah. We know, we know that burnout is a thing. And I feel like if you don't place limits on your 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 capacity, there there will be nothing left. And so I would like to keep doing this work. And so I place limits on my capacity and uh, I always will be my biggest advocate. Yeah. And what I'm taking from that is just such a powerful message about, about when women speak 
the truth about their lives, then, you know, then it's sort of like you, you can, you can be who you are. And it's so much, it's actually so much less work to just be who you are than to try to be what other people say that you should be. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I just want to go to a few questions here because we're going to run out of time for this segment. And I, I want to say that in your book, you talk about being, you know, sort of grappling with otherness and being mm. born into traumatic circumstances and, you know, brought up in the foster care system as a biracial gender nonconforming kid. And then in your book, you describe settling into a blissful family life that you know, with your soulmate and having success and having a, a daughter. And and so it's like you've created this amazing life for yourself. How how do you view that now? What 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 does success in life mean to you? Are you there? Yes. I have achieved everything that I have dreamt of and more. It is so humbling to to see all of my hard work, to see all of it just flourish. It is humbling. And I believe that I believe that I did the work of self first, of processing my healing and thus the book. I think that probably over the past 10 years or so that I have been on a, a never- ending journey of processing my trauma and healing so that I can be the best version of myself. And I think once I started to do that, I think my life came into the the fullest version of alignment. Mm -hmm. And that that is the focus of my life. And I feel that my whole life that I'll still be healing. I dealt with some horrible, traumatic things in my childhood. And once I addressed those things head on, I felt that I could love again because I was an extremely closed off person, you know, when it came to letting myself be loved due, due to the trauma that I experienced as a young person. But once I released the trauma, I think that my life came into alignment. And it doesn't mean to say that there's not more because there is more. There is so much yeah. more out there. But I think at the root of it that I wanted to be loved. And I have that, you know, I have a wonderful husband and a little baby girl who is just the joy of my life. And and I never, this is not how I ever saw the story going. This is not what I saw for my life ever. You know, I thought that I would be a performer. (laughs) That's what I thought. I thought once upon a time, I thought that I would be a showgirl. That is what I thought I would be doing with my life. And, you know, there would be something, you know, on the side where I would dedicate my time to a good cause. But I am so thrilled where my career has, has taken me. And I And I am in competition with no one, no one. I want to be the best version of of myself. And I think there are some exciting things on the the horizon. And each time something additional happens, I'm like, wow. And there, there are sometimes 
even to myself, I was at a gig last week and I closed the door of the trailer on set. And I said, I asked for this when I was in high school. This is something that I would have dreamed of doing. And now here I am on set on, you know, on this, this great show, you know, on a powerful network. And it was just, just so, so humbling. Um, and I think each time something happens, I just am just so moved, grateful and, and humble. This, what you're able to, you're able to take it in and actually enjoy it. Yes. You know, and especially as a kid who, who grew up in foster care and was adopted, you know, those aren't the opportunities that are that are granted to us. Okay. And on the segment for Superpowers for Success, when did you know you were really good at what you do? I've always known uh, I am who I am. I've always had this natural optimism um, about myself. And there's always has, have been a, a natural confidence. Good. Okay. We about myself. A bit about that earlier too. Precious, can you describe one personal habit that contributes to your well-being? So you can do everything that you do. I attend therapy. I think everyone should attend therapy and and, and take the space to to process their life with a, a professional therapist. I think Absolutely. that's extremely important. Love that. Okay, what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? I think I'm a great communicator. I don't think I always realized that that was a, a strength. I remember as a, a kid, I was always the person the teacher marked as talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Cool. What advice would you give your younger self, say 10, 15 years ago? There's nothing wrong with you. Stand in your truth. Go ahead, girl. Love that. Okay. A couple more questions to end the show here. Do you identify as a feminist? Absolutely. What does that mean for you? I believe in, in women's equality and that women's equality is intersectional and that we need to uplift all women in the conversation when we're talking about feminism and that we need to uh, stomp the patriarchy. Yeah. Okay. And last question, what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? I just started last night, Bakari Seller's book, My Vanishing Country. Mm, okay. We'll add that to our book list. We love to share that with listeners. And Precious Brady Davis, so great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Giovanna. I really enjoyed our conversation. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your well woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join our community. As a reminder, we are on NPR every week, so be sure to tune in at npr.org slash podcasts and search for The Well Woman Show. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment and subscribe and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.